The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a very um, fascinating uh, story for you today that my guest will tell. Um, it's fascinating. It's also a nightmare, and um, it really could happen to anybody, anybody who is around young children, and that's the scariest part. Uh, my guest, Tanya Kraft, is the author of a new memoir called Accused, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive. Tanya was a teacher, a well-respected kindergarten teacher in Georgia, uh, had a nice life, <laughs> It was very uh, trusted by um, the people, the parents who sent their kids to her class, until one day she got a knock on the door, and um, as I will let you, as I will let her tell you, um, that changed her life forever. And um, the, the nightmare is that Tanya, just like any of us, could be falsely accused of molesting little children. And the, the way back from a, a false accusation, um, even though you know you're innocent, you think justice is supposed to be on your side, and all of that um, is a lot harder in reality than one would think. So, Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, I saw your um, program on Crime Watch. And um, that I found it all very fascinating, and um, thought that uh, uh, you know I was looking forward to talking with you. And I'm sure my listeners, you know, your story <laughs> is hard to believe, um, and and it is scary for anybody to actually think um, that this could happen to them. I mean, everyone who doesn't who isn't a child molester um, would think, oh, there's no way that I would be accused of that since I don't do that. And, of course, your story is very different. So tell us, take us back sort of chronologically. I'm a psychiatrist. I go chronologically from childhood. We don't have to necessarily go back that far this, right now. But, um, you know, ta- start with how, what your life was like right before the knocks on your door. Um, before the knocks on my door, it was actually, and actually it was, a doorbell, and I just say that because I actually still have kind of doorbell anxiety, for lack of a better term. Uh-huh. But, um, I actually was finishing up teaching. My Both of my children, um, my daughter had just finished her kindergarten year, and my son in um, second grade. And so 
we were literally, they had a friend over. We were going to go to the swimming pool, do what we normally did in the summer, and just kind of enjoy our summer, enjoy our summer break. And they were just kind of running around the house like, you know, little kids did. And I was back in my bedroom, and the doorbell rang. And my kids, um, it's still it's still hard. Uh, my kids came in there and said that there was two gentlemen. And they said there were two men at the at the door, and they were just really excited because they didn't answer the door as I had told them not to. So everything was just, it went from a normal first day of summer going to the swimming pool to two detectives standing at my front door. Uh-huh. And? <laughs> and you would just keep going. I can, I can Yeah, go ahead. Um, okay. But I mean, that, I guess what I wanted, to, wanted you to say, though, was, um, I mean, your life was, I know you were a single mom at that time, but, um, and in your book, you start off your book, um, accused with a very um, poignant story of the night before this all happened, um, your daughter coming into your bedroom and crying because she had a dream that her stepfather, you had been married t- twice, and um, her stepfather had, in her dream, um, she, she wanted her stepfather to come back, was, was basically the story. Right. And you right. assured her ironically, that um, that you would never leave her, that even though her stepfather left her, that she could count on you. And, you know, um, and... Go ahead. Um, yes, yeah, actually, um, the, the night before, and, and my, my... We were still married at the time. We were separated, my current husband, and we have we reconciled in the middle of this, and we have been married almost nine years now. Um, uh-huh. So that is definitely a blessing in this. But he had left, and... She, I was asleep. She came in crying. You know, I asked her what was wrong, and you know, she said I had this dream, and I was jumping on the trampoline, and you know, then um, she talked about him, you know, walking up and saying that I'll never leave you, and so she was crying. And then, of course, you know, I'm kind of crying a little bit and trying to get her to just kind of calm down. And she said, "Well, what if you leave?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "You know, Aiden, um, my daughter." I said. Um, you know, look at me, I said, there is absolutely nothing that could ever happen that could take me away from you. And, you know, she said, do you promise? And she said, you know, then we started this little kind of back and forth little game of, you know, well, what if I was in Australia? And I said, oh, I'd get on the back of a kangaroo and, you know, jump until I found you. And so we kind of did this back and forth little thing that kind of got her calm. And um, eventually she kind of calmed down and I just, you know, kind of... um, you know, kind of touched her cheek, and I said, you know, there's one thing. It's mommy will never go anywhere. I will always be here, and I want you to know that. And, you know, obviously never in my dreams did I think that the next day would be the last day I even laid eyes on my daughter for two years. Mm. Okay, so tell us about that. So the men rang the doorbell. So they rang the doorbell, and when I, when I first went out, it started out like they didn't know who I was, and um, I thought it was a little odd because I knew that one of the detectives actually, you know, his, his daughter went to school with my children and where I taught school. So, you know, they kind of played a little bit of that game of, oh, so you're an educator because I had a license plate on my car, and then it quickly kind of turned to, you know, we need to talk about these things that, you know, you, you did to these little kids, and then, I, you know, I closed the door. My children and their friends had, you know, their little faces scrunched up against the window because they were trying to figure out what was going on. And 
then they started just throwing these accusations that, you know, you've molested these little girls and we know that you did it and you're going to be arrested and you need to come talk to us and you need to take a polygraph. And I, I, was, in, I was in shock and I was trying to communicate with them. I was trying to not, um, I, I was just trying to internalize in my mind what they were saying. My knees were about to give out. But I was also trying to have some kind of a, some kind of, you know, back and forth communication with them because they kept, you know, do you not have anything to say? What do you have to say about this? And then they actually named the children that were the accusers and told me who they were. And um, I told them at that point, I said, I will, I will come talk to you, but I need to get the children taken care of. You know, nobody's here. And so they gave me their card and I said, I will let you know when I can come talk to you. And so they left, and I actually called my parents to come. My parents came. The mother of the other child came. And at this point, I had contacted an attorney that I had helped a friend of mine get in a divorce that had just, like, as a reference, had helped. And so I called this attorney, and I had this attorney call the detective to say, hey, we'll come meet you. Where can we meet you? So at this point, um, they showed back up at my doorstep with somebody from DFACS, which is like Child Protective Services in Georgia, and said, you know, why didn't you come? Why didn't you show up? We're going to arrest you. And, you know, I, and I said, my my attorney, I have an attorney, and I will be happy to sit down and talk to you, but there's going to be an attorney present. And then, you know, it started with the whole, um, kind of like you see on TV, well, then you must be guilty. Obviously, you did something wrong if you think you need to have an attorney. And I said, I will speak to you, but I will not speak to you without an attorney. And somehow when I communicated with them, I could at least kind of keep it together to communicate and I would fall apart when they left because there was a couple of different times they would leave the premises and come back. And um, by the end of the day, I had been told I could not have contact with my children until after they had been interviewed on the following Monday. And it was a natural weekend that they went with their father. And so at that point, all I knew was these children had said something. There was no arrest warrant, and the attorney that I talked to said he talked to the DA and was told there was no arrest warrant and that there were too many holes in it and none of it made sense. And I was kind of told by that attorney, you know, just call me Monday. We'll work everything out. Not a big deal. You didn't do anything wrong. Kind of kind of more nonchalant than I wish, you know, that he would have been about it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and so at that point, it, it literally snowballed from that to 10 days later, there was a warrant for my arrest. I was arrested um, a year later and died on 22 counts. A year after that, had a five-week trial. And through this entire process, I took over my legal team. I built, I built the team. Well, wait, before we, wait, wait, wait. Before we, before we go ahead to that, um, when you were told by these detectives that um, the names of the children who you supposedly uh, molested, and one of them was your daughter. Um, did you have any time before defects took your children or they went to their fathers, or did you have any time to ask your daughter? Uh, in other words, before you, she was taken away from you, did you have any time to ask her what was going on? Well, um, I have two answers to that. One is, well, was there time if I wanted to take her into a room and do that? Yes, but I also did not feel like 
I honest, well, another thing is they did not say my daughter's name when they said it. They said other kids. My daughter's name was not even mentioned at the time that they said the names of the children that accused me. And even one of the children that they named later, she had said, she actually had said nothing and even emphatically said that Miss Tanya, no, she didn't do anything. Even when they were suggesting, we know she did this, we were told she did this in interviews, and they told me that she had said that I had molested her when she emphatically had already in, her, in an interview said she had not. What I told mm. my children, I, I said, you're going to go with um, your grandfather and go get ice cream. And I said, there's an adult situation going on that needs my attention and other adults' attention. And I was running around the house because the phone just kept ringing. There kept being things. And, you know, the worst thing was um, my friend was helping. And so she got my children together and gathered up and and put in my um, my father's car, and I really didn't even, you know, look at him and tell him I loved them or, you know, because I just, I'd never imagined that that would be the last time I would see them possibly uh-huh. ever. Uh-huh. So, so I did not, I deliberately didn't sit down and question or ask. I just said, this is an adult situation that needs to be handled um, by me and other adults, and that's how I explained it and didn't say anything, which I'm glad because in my daughter's, subsequent interview, they kept trying to get her to say, well, you know, um, they kept questioning her to the effect of, you know, well, what did your mom tell you to say? What did Mm. she say? Did she tell you you would get in trouble? And she, you know, kept saying, my mom didn't tell me anything. My dad told me what my mom did. And she kept saying that in her interview because I didn't say anything to her and I did not question her. I just, I I wanted her to be protected from this because... I was overwhelmed. I didn't even understand it. And I just, I was, I was visibly upset. She knew I was upset. And I just wanted her to know and my children to know, both of them, that this is an adult situation and I, I'm going to take care of it. And that was the extent of any conversation that we had on that day. So, okay. So I'm really interested in how this whole thing came about. How, you know, how... Um, I mean, I understand the whole situation, and yes, people have to be very careful. Uh, whoever is examining or or interviewing a child, um, where there's a question of possible sexual abuse or molestation, you know, you have to be trained how to do that, and you have to be trained how to do it in a way that doesn't suggest anything to the child. And similarly. You can't keep saying, um, so uh, really nothing happened, really nothing happened, because then since they want to make you happy, they think maybe, okay, that's the wrong answer. They keep asking me this. I, I need to say something happened, and then they're more likely to make something up. But so I, you know, there were these three, three little girls, including your daughter, or three little girls in addition to your daughter. I thought it was like including your daughter. Or well, I guess... there were three original names that the detectives brought up. And one of the children that the detectives brought up was the one that I said never said anything in her interview. Even though they told me she did, there were Uh never charges brought against her. Uh So of the three children originally, the one, there were never charges, and then my daughter was added to the mix. I see. So how I know that now, after the trial, this incredible two years of your life taken away by this nightmare, um, all your your savings, your career, you you know you could no longer be a teacher, at least not there. Your reputation, um, your children, of course, the worst part of it taken t- taken away for two years, right? 
Um, yes, ma'am. And um, so, ha- you know, you've had a lot of time, <laughs> even after the trial, to, to figure out exactly the, the chronology, how this all sort of snowballed um, into them appearing at your doorstep. So, so to explain that part. I think that's just so fascinating because, um, from what I understand, um, you know, it's a combination of mean girls. You know how we call like girls in high school or junior high school the mean girls, the girls who are uh, who are jealous and who are um, catty, and um, they just create trouble for other girls. And then, of course, your ex-husband had something to do with this as well. Of course, that's kind of tricky since apparently your was it your first ex-husband or was it David, your your the one you're back with. Um, okay, it was, I actually, and this was one of the things at trial that was also brought up, because I have not, I, I don't have the best chooser or picker when it comes to um, spouses, so I actually yeah. had married my high school sweetheart, which was my first husband, and then the children's father was my second husband. David actually was my third, so that was oh, another thing okay. they tried to, to bring up that, oh, she, she's been married three times, so then, therefore, she is a child molester, but... Yeah. Um, so the father, I had no children with my first husband. So the father of my children, um, with my second husband and if you want, do you want me to go from there? Sure. How this happened? Yes. Um, okay. They're really how you described. Unfortunately, sometimes if you kind of have those mean girls, sometimes they grow up to be mean women. I mean, I hate to say it that right, way, but that's right. kind of the simplest yeah. way to say it. Um, the moms involved in this, there, there were a few situations. Um, some of the, like one of the families involved in part of the investigation and the accusations. Um, I'd gotten on to their children, both of these, these family children. I'd gotten on to their children at a, at a birthday party for my daughter. And it was, it was just, when I even say this, like you said earlier, when I tell this story, it's almost like I'm telling somebody else's story. It, mm-hmm. it seems so unreal and, and that, it, that it couldn't happen. But there was just a situation like children saying kind of little, you know, this is a baby birthday party. Just kids do that. It's not that, you know, it's not anything major, but my daughter was crying. So I just kind of said, you know, hey, that's not a very kind thing to say. So, you know, let's think about how we would feel if somebody said that at our birthday party. Mm-hmm. And I even went downstairs and told my husband and another one of my friends that they both testified at, at trial about this where I just said, well, I just did it. You know, I just ticked off the two most influential people, you know, in this town. And they they knew the people and they knew that they probably would be upset because you don't correct their children. And mm-hmm. immediately after that, they stopped communicating with me at school. Um, one, um, you know, one of the parents was my was my. Her daughter was in my classroom, so she never, she was my homegrown mom and never came back. And then I started hearing things. So this is a small community where this is. This is like Mayberry and one, you know, one red light. So I heard how they were going around town and basically, you know, saying ugly things that I had messed with the wrong families and nobody, you know, yells at their child. And I even tried to have a conversation with one of the moms about, I did not yell at all. I mean, this is a conversation that took place. And they, you know, know, our children said you screamed at them and that they were crying and that you, you know, you refused to let them come home, which was very, I had witnesses there, adult witnesses, that that was totally inaccurate. And so after that, we have this before, very Before the answer that, let's, 
we need to take a break now, so we will hold the after that, okay? Okay. Um, My guest is Tanya Kraft. Her book, her new memoir, is called Accused, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive. So stay tuned. We're listening to this really amazing story. I mean, the only, the good part is that she found the strength to come out of this with a happy ending, but um, it's not happy to have had to go, go through this during her life. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today with Tanya Kraft. She is a teacher, or was a teacher, (laughs) who was falsely accused of molestation and she has learned a tragic lesson, which is that um, the tr- people don't always want to believe the truth, and they can perpetrate uh, for a good two years in a huge trial um, lies about you that could have put her in jail, actually, for 400 years for child molestation of three little girls. So, Tanya, before the break, we were talking about how um, at a birthday party for your daughter, uh, these two little girls were catty little. Even though your daughter, you said she just finished kindergarten, so even though these little girls were four, five, and six approximately, um, they were still mean. They were already mean girls. I guess they learned it from their mother. They were already mean girls, and they were putting down your daughter's birthday party, saying that it was babyish. And um, when you tried to correct them on that, they got angry and told their mommies, who happened to be the two most important women or influential women, let's put it that way, in the t- in the town. So take it from there. Um, and I will say, because I never want to to, to sound like I'm being derogatory towards the children, the kids mm-hmm. were the kids. You know, I mean, at that point and at that age, kids said that. I taught school and I had conversations 50 times a day about saying kind things and not hurting feelings and things like mm-hmm. that. 
Um, so at this point, there was a disconnect in these friendships. And actually, there wasn't a disconnect. It was like a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. And there was no communication. There were things that I heard that they were saying in the community about derogatory about me, about me messing with the wrong family, and that I wasn't going to have a job there and different things. And, um, you know, couple that with with my ex-husband. It was a very contentious divorce several years back that we'd had. There was, it was very volatile. It was very full of emotions. It was... It was not any kind of an agreement. It was it was, it was very contentious. And you're talking um, even, about your second husband, the fa- the the girl, the, the children's father, the father of my children. Correct. Yes. Okay. And so, as the year and this birthday party happened in January, so it was you know after a little bit after Christmas that year. As the rest of the year began to unfold, um, there were. You know, like I said, there was a, a stop in communication. There were things that were being said in the community, and a an, another family that got very involved in this from from kind of the outside. Um, I had not promoted their child to first grade, mm. so they were very upset. And their other child was the one I had gotten onto at the birthday party, and so they began saying the only reason that I. Um, didn't promote their their kindergarten child was because they didn't like me anymore, and mm. it turned into a very big ordeal to where the school didn't they, they truly didn't back me up. They came in and refused to let me be in meetings about the child being promoted or not promoted. I had tested the child; eight other teachers at a minimum had tested the child. It was documented. I was doing what was best for the child, even though. People in the community were saying, "Don't mess with this family; just pass the child." Hmm. And I, I and I said, "If you know, I, I refuse to do that, or I need to stop teaching because I'm doing what's in the best interest of this child." So here's these very bad, these friendships gone very, very wrong and bad. You have an ex-husband who it's contentious, bad from from the get go. And what ended up coming out later? Supposedly there was this this party at, at a swimming pool and some little girl wrote the word. We don't even know what, because there were five different stories about what happened, but supposedly had written some words and sex was one of the words. And so then all the parents started questioning their kids and the main, I, I call her the main mother involved in this, um, the main mom and the, and the main child. She, according to her testimony and according to documents that we have recorded statements, she questioned her child for three days. She kept questioning, asking her, didn't Miss Tanya do something to her? And finally, after three days, she finally said something. It's basically what what happened here. So at this point, when she finally got her child to say, okay, you know, Tanya did something, then she started calling all these people in the community saying, Tanya did something to your child. Tanya did something to your child. Tanya. And she happened to be very close friends with the detective that was running this investigation. So she mm. would call, like, their children spent the night together, and they vacationed together. They did things very, um, you know, on a social level. And so then there started this horrible, um, you know, just parental, it was like that um, telephone tag almost. Mm-hmm. But she would call people and say, that this, detective, this detective, my really good friend, is fixing to call you. You need to talk to him. Huh. And then, lo and behold, this detective would call these people. And mm-hmm. um, 
Later, we actually got phone records, which showed where she would call the detective, the detective would call her back, and the detective would call the individual that the mom had just talked to. And there began all this, um, all this communication and, and her, you know, her telling people that this had happened, Tanya did it to my child, and she did it to your child, too. So mm-hmm. then these children get interviewed, and these interviews... Not only were they done, but some of the individuals that did the interviews had a five-day training course. Huh. They, some of them had, they didn't have a bachelor's degree. Um, I think that maybe an associate's degree. But these were very unqualified individuals doing the interviews. And with, for instance, the main child, she was asked, I did, a, I did a PowerPoint presentation for the FBI and went through every single document and interview and spent a year doing that after the trial. This child was asked somewhere around 52 times, are you sure Tanya didn't do anything to you? But, but your mom said she did something to you. Didn't she do anything to you? Didn't Miss Tanya touch you? Didn't Miss Tanya have you touch her? And the child said no and no and no and no. The child leaves the interview with mom, comes back after an undisclosed period of time. We don't know how long she was gone. And then, oh, yeah, I forgot. All of a sudden, all this stuff happened. Can I just stop you for a minute because I wanted? Yes. So now this now you're talking about and it's in, it was on the sh- um, crime watch. So I, I don't think there's a problem with mentioning the main woman, um, main witch hunter. It was named Sandra. And that's yes. what you're talking about, right? Okay. And now yes. the girl who at a pool party wrote sex was that one of the girls who then accused you, or was this just some other little girl? This was the little girl that I originally mentioned, that the detectives originally mentioned that said that she did say that I molested her, that she did not say that. In fact, she emphatically said that nothing happened. Even though she continually was questioned, she was very emphatic that nothing happened. So that was the little girl. Um, And even when it, it, the mom of the little girl that wrote sex, was a good friend with me at that time. Like, we had a very good relationship, and she testified for me. And mm-hmm. she said that when Sandra and, you know, the other mom called and said, um, which her name was Sherry, when Sandra and Sherry called and said, you need to get here, your child wrote this, somebody must have done something to her. Um, and then the testimony of the mom and the dad of the little girl that wrote it said that it turned into a, you know, Tanya's, you know, a B-I-T-C-H, Tanya's this, she's a that, she's, you know, she didn't pass my child, she yelled at my child, and she was very confused on, originally, they're like, Tanya's this bad person who we think did all this bad stuff to these kids, to kind of a, we can't stand Tanya, and, you know, she's, she's ostracized, and we're going to basically get her, and she was really confused on that. She was actually threatened by Sandra after her child had said nothing happened, and mm. Sandra called her and said, you need to get her back in there until mm. she finally says some, that Tanya did something. And um, this person said, if you call me again, I'm going to call the police and file charges against you because my child said nothing happened. Leave her alone. So, so um, now, this was, person, there, was there any reason why... So here this girl, who had nothing to do with anything, basically, um, writes sex, which really doesn't mean <laughs> Tanya or anybody else molested me, but, but okay, you, you kind of wonder what, where this little girl... I mean, she probably saw it on television or something, but anyway. Um, 
the the thing is, how did they? Was there anything other than the fact that um, Sandra hated you because you had yelled at her daughter, or she—that's how she interpreted it—that you had yelled at her daughter or, or criticized her daughter? Was there anything else that they um, were able to say as to why, how they made that leap, other than that they hated you? You, you mean how, well? I can say what I believe because what yeah. I believe is she. She tried, Sandra tried to call at the beginning of May and filed with DFAC a claim against me for, um, I forgot the exa- inadequate supervision, something like that. In my mm-hmm. opinion, there were some people that were angry that didn't want me teaching there, and I think that it started out little. I think that they called and that they thought, you know, we can file an inadequate supervision, then she won't be able to be a teacher, and then, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of get what we want. And it didn't work. That went nowhere. And I think it just snowballed out of control. And whether they deliberately interjected my name and told their children that I did something or they did it out of they were so angry and dis, you know, their dislike for me that they just wanted to make that leap to, oh, this child wrote this, so that must mean that, you know, something happened to her, which must mean something happened to you. And, um, and these... Outside influences, you know, when you have a child that's grilled by their mom for three days mm-hmm. about didn't this person do something to you, didn't she do this, didn't she do that, eventually a child's going to go, okay, you know, leave me alone. And mm-hmm. even the second child, not my daughter, the second child at the trial, whenever my attorney said, what did you think when they kept asking you the question, the same question, mm-hmm. she literally said, I thought I got the answer wrong. Mm. because they kept, with all these children, not only were there repetitive questions in the interviews, after these parents, every, the red flag in every single child's interview that was consistent was the two girls said, my mom told me what happened, and my daughter said, my dad told me. And um, nobody stopped and investigated this. Nobody looked into it, and they just kind of glossed over it and wanted to completely ignore the fact that these children obviously were told something by their parents and it needed to be looked into what these children were told by their parents. Yeah. So before they got in there, you know, you have this horrible influence of individuals who are interjecting my name saying that I did these things. Then, unfortunately, you couple that with these interviewers who, this happened, yeah. so I'm going to ask as many questions as I need yeah. to until I get the answer. And it's... I mean, it's a recipe for a disaster. I mean, it was it was yeah. so many bad situations that that snowballed into one. Right. So, did your ex husband? Um, he he heard that these women were. That, I mean, did Sandra call your ex husband, or how did he get into this? And what did he tell your daughter? Um, well, originally, because because there was a custody situation that went on because of this. So we got to depose and do depositions of my ex-husband and their stepmom. Um, he tried to make it sound like he didn't know anything about it. He said that someday later in the weekend that he had gotten a phone call. We later got his phone records and did show that there were um, there was a lot of communication between them before he said and. One of the things that we brought up at trial that we actually played was I had to sign a thing when the detectives left, a document that said I would not have contact with my children until after they interviewed. 
So mm-hmm. my, my children were literally in their father's care for approximately 30 to 40 minutes, and my phone rang, and I didn't answer it, and a message was left, and my daughter was on there, and she said, Mommy, I love you, but I won't be seeing you for a very long time. I love mm-hmm. you, Mommy. Bye. And mm-hmm. I saved it, and we played it at the trial. And I just think that there, at this point, he has spoken to nobody. No detectives have supposedly called him, and he had no communication, knew nothing about this. And my and I had full custody of my children. I mean, he you know they went to their fathers every other weekend. And within forty minutes of her being in his care, she calls and she left me that message. Hmm. And I I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think that that is very not only indicative. But then when she interviews Monday, she would say, my dad told me the things my mom did. My dad told me that my mom was arrested and that she lied to the police and that she lied about doing things. And she kept saying that. And they um, honestly, they basically ignored her, you know, talking about the things that her dad told her. And, And they even said, well you know, um, what did you talk about? And she said, well, I didn't talk about anything. My dad talked to me about my mom and said these specific things in her, in her interview. And even in my daughter's interview, she never said anything. And we had several um, experts, child psychologists, look at these interviews. She never said anything other than, um, you know, yeah, you know, my mom had put medicine when I had, you know, bathroom problems on me. Or she might, you know, help me wash in the bathtub, but that's it. Mm-hmm. And so they kept trying to say, but didn't she touch you and didn't she do these things? And my daughter mm-hmm. kept saying, she would put medicine if I was hurting or help me bathe, that's it. And mm-hmm. they just would not, but that's all she ever said. And even in su- any subsequent therapeutic setting or anything with her, um, she never said anything. And I had several indictments against her that included digital, anal penetration, um, severe penetration, and it was never indicated or said in any form or fashion by her. Mm. Well, so did, did uh, there's the music that we have to take another break, but I wanted to ask you for when we come back whether you're, well, or maybe you can tell me qu- quickly, did your, so did your husband kind of do this on his own, or did he also, he must have known that there was these other um, accusations, I mean, against you. Now, you mean the father of my children? I, I meant, yes. Um, I, I, will, I will say this, based on my gut and based on the documentation that I've seen, they started this, and he very readily and happily jumped on the bandwagon. Yes, that's kind of what makes sense. Okay. All right. What doesn't make sense is we have to take another break. <laughs> I want to hear the rest of the story, but we will be back with my guest, Tanya Kraft. Her book is called Accused, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Kara Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. 
Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Tanya Kraft. She is, um, well, has been, has a master's in education, studied, wanted to be all her life a teacher and was a very good one. Until one day when she was falsely accused of molestation and her whole world crashed in on her. Um, before the break, we were talking about uh, some of these accusations, false accusations. And um, one thing that I found really interesting was this mother who we were talking about, Sandra, the, the, the leader of the witch hunt. Um, she uh, talked about um, how either she saw or somehow she knew, she was claiming anyhow, that her daughter and your daughter were touching each other and that that's what she used as um, to bolster her claims that you must have molested them. What was that all about? It was very vague. Okay, yeah, and it's, it's a little bit confusing because Sandra would say that her daughter said things that in her interviews her daughter did not say. So um, that Sandra claimed that her daughter said that my daughter had been touching her and therefore she learned it from her mom, so therefore Tanya did these things. Now, the, the second child, not my child, but the second child, that was a situation where two years before the detective showed up, which was May 2008. Two years before that, whenever the girls were little, I was at this other person's house, and our daughters were playing in the little girl's bedroom. And you know you know, with kids, anybody that has kids, if they're being loud, you don't worry. If they're being quiet, then you go check <laughs> out what they're doing. So the mom, this other mom, um, went, walked back, and it was a very, it was kind of a small house, so it was a short walk. And all of a sudden, I heard the mom screaming, and I could hear, like, wham, wham, like she was spanking or smacking, and I hear the two kids just screaming and crying. So I ran in there to see what was happening, and my daughter's standing there crying, and fully clothed, her daughter's standing there as she's spanking her with a belt, and she's saying, I told you not to do that, I told you not to do that. Hmm. So at this point, this mom was out of control, I didn't want to stay, I took my daughter, put her in the car, and we drove home. And later, you know, I kind of said, hey, like, what happened? You know, and my, the gist of it is my daughter said, oh, we were kind of pointing to each other down there. And then the mom called me and said, your daughter was touching my daughter. My daughter didn't do anything. Your daughter hmm. must have been molested. And I know because my husband was molested when he was a child. So, you know, you need to check it out. Your daughter's been molested. Well, of course... I was an educator. I know that there is 
you know, there's a certain level with kids, and they, you know, do things, say things, point, or whatever. So I didn't question my daughter. I literally immediately called the next morning, made her an appointment with her pediatrician, took her in, and said, you know, there there was some, I don't even know what happened. I didn't see it, um, but there was some possible, you know, you know, kind of two kids point at each other. Can you just make sure that everything's okay with my child physically. And, she, you know, and she said, you need to leave the room, which I gladly did. I left the room, left her in there. And then when I came back in, she said, you know, well, everything I gather, it was just kids being kids. And, you know, she talked to my daughter, you know, just about appropriate child behavior. And she said, really, it doesn't even sound like anything happened. But she had physically looked at my child, and she said, everything's fine, everything's intact. So this other mother called me and said, you know, what are you going to do about this? You know, your daughter has been molested. And I, I realized that there was no communicating because my daughter was saying one thing. Her daughter was saying something else. And I've dealt with children long enough that either one story was correct, the other story somewhere in between or none of it. I mean, th- there's no way to tell. We weren't in there. Mm-hmm. So I also didn't feel like that even if what she said was happening and they were pointing at each other, Spanking the child with a belt was not an appropriate reaction, in my opinion. So at that point, I kind of cut, I didn't cut that relationship off where I didn't speak to her. I just decided that my child was not going to go over to that house anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so so that was one of both, then this parent, whenever this started, this parent and then told Sandra oh, you know, this little girl, Tanya's little girl was doing these things to her, so it makes sense, so Tanya must have been doing Uh it, and then it turned into, which really, you know, honestly was so disturbing and so upsetting because they said things about my child to make it, you know, not even with any concern about how it would affect her then or affect her in the future, Mm -hmm. just to try to say, well, oh, she did this to our kids, so therefore, you know, that means that... Tanya did these things, and she's bad, and, you know, she needs to be convicted. So um, it was a... Well, yeah, I can see how that would, they could, you know, turn that into something. But at the time, did you, you know, did you do anything to see whether your first or second husband might have, or any, any men that could have been near your daughter, whether, in fact, anybody did molest her? Well, this is what I felt like I did do. I took her to a pediatrician, well, I know, MD, but I mean, a doctor. She not but, only physically examined, she talked to her. After that, for about six months, I made sure that any time my daughter had friends over, the doors were always open, and I would just kind of watch and make sure, you know, that there was no behavior that was indicative of anything. And um, I felt comfortable with the way I handled the situation because I did take her to a trained individual who not only knows about, you know, things happening with children that knew my child. And mm-hmm. I felt like that I was I was okay with the fact that if they were even pointing to each other, I mean, you know, there's children in your classrooms that literally, you know, little boys or little girls that might start rap- rocking back and forth on a child, I mean, on, um, on a chair because mm-hmm. it's, you know, they stimulate themselves because it's what they do sometimes and you go over and say, you know, hey, little, you know, Susie, let's, you know, let's take a bathroom break. And, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you kind of deflect that, you do that. There's normal things. Um, I still did not feel like that there was any touching or anything because 
from the time that the parent started screaming at her child and that I, I went back there, it was a matter of a couple of seconds. And nobody was unclothed. Nobody mm-hmm. had pants down. And she, at trial, the mom said that when she walked in the room, that the kids were underneath the bed with both of their pants off and that, you know, my daughter was, like, physically doing things to her daughter. And there is absolutely no physical way that that could have happened the way she said it happened and me get back there and the children be standing fully clothed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. within a matter of seconds. So, I just wondered if there was anybody who you suspected and asked about, like, either the, you know, either of your two husbands or any other man that might have been in your daughter's life, whether there was, whether you, whether you asked them about it or not that they would admit it, but whether you suspected anything. Well, I will say, I, I I was never comfortable with certain behavioral traits of my ex-husband, of their father. Mm-hmm. And um, I did. I mean, I watched her behavior. I, even, I mean, I talked to her teacher. I talked to the principal because I talked there. I talked to, you know, her preschool teachers. I talked to individuals to say, hey, have you seen anything abnormal with my mm-hmm. daughter? You know, I, I talked to individuals that saw her, that knew her, to see if there was any behavior as far as their father, there was no communicating with him. You can't, mm. you can't have a conversation mm-hmm. um, with him. And, and, and honestly, one of the other things that happened was before any of this came to fruition, as these parents were angry at me before the, before the detective showed up, my daughter had been sharing things with me about her bathing with her stepmother and her showering with her stepmother. Mm. And then it got to the point where she said that, talking about her stepmother shaving her vaginal area and her helping huh. her. So at this point, I went and I talked to the school counselor. I talked to my daughter's teacher. I researched, found somebody that was a Ph.D. psychologist that strictly interviewed children involving abuse and sexual abuse and had made her an appointment to go meet with this individual because mm. of the prior incident a couple years ago and then um, just this completely inappropriate behavior that I felt like was going on with this yes. adult, I had made her an appointment, and I was arrested the day before her appointment. I was able wow. to take her to that interview. Wow, God, the timing of all this. Well, I know we're running, talking, we're, we're running out of time, and I want to make sure that people, um, that you can talk about since this trial and since you were acquitted of all 22 counts, and it was a five-and-a-half-week trial, very um, just gut-wrenching, um, you have gone to law school, or you are in your law school currently? I graduated in May, so oh, I right. am almost finished. I'll take the bar in July. Well, congratulations. That is amazing. Um, and you have already, though, been working, helping other people uh, in these kinds of cases, right? Yes, I have cons- I've consulted on several cases. I have had thousands of people call, and I'm very particular and deliberate, and I will tell people when they call me, if you did something wrong, I will help the prosecutor put you in prison for the rest of your life because I don't play games. I don't think anything inappropriate should happen, and if if you did anything, you don't want me working on your case, and that takes a lot of people. You know, they'll say, okay, that's fine, and they never call you back, but huh. um, so I have, of all the people that have called, I've only consulted on a few cases, and I'm actually right now interning in Chattanooga, where I live, at the district attorney's office in Chattanooga. And that has been a really wonderful experience because I don't want to come out of this an angry, negative person. I want to be positive, and I want to make positive changes 
And it has been refreshing and wonderful to help me kind of, you know, balance my emotions to see a prosecutor's office that does it correctly and that does uh-huh. handle cases the way that they're supposed to. So I'm also doing that and have, have spoken, um, you know, in a variety of venues about the accusations, um, also about, um, you know, different, whether it's to upcoming psychologists or upcoming attorneys or current attorneys, you know, just depending on on who I'm speaking to, or some of the more faith-based organizations that I've talked to about the forgiveness aspect of this, which is mm-hmm. very important to me because it helps me. Because of forgiveness, I'm able to do positive things and to do it with, um, with good intentions and to really want to make a difference and not focus on the negative like the lawsuit. I had, I had a lawsuit that I ended up dropping, and it was just Lawsuits are appropriate for some people, but for me, it brought about negative emotions, and it took me back to a place of anger that I just didn't want to be, and I wanted to make positive changes, and that wasn't something that was good for my heart and me moving forward. Yes, I I read about that, that you originally had a $25 million lawsuit against all of these people who were involved in your false accusations, and... um, and that and that's interesting that you chose to drop it for the reasons that you just described. I mean, yes. Uh, I mean, here you are on a on a really positive path where you can really help other people, having lived through all of the horror of it yourself. Um, and yes, I guess that would have taken time and energy and uh, made you made you revisit those two years uh, time and time again in order to have the lawsuit. And, and it's still a process, and there is healing that is going to take place for years, and it has affected my life. It, it will never be the same. I tell people that, you know, when people say, I'm glad you're back, you know, things are back to normal, they're not. They will never mm-hmm. be. But I think mm-hmm. that's psychologically why I'm able to move forward is I, I recognize that, and I appreciate the fact that I have a new normal, and that's okay. That it's a, it is what it is, and even though there are effects on me and my children, you know, it just kind of... You kind of sum it up when my daughter comes to me and she says, you know what, Mommy, there's one thing I know. And I said, what is that? And she said, you will always love me no matter what, and there's nothing we can't get through. And, you know, that sums up that we've had a very difficult situation, but I want my children to see that I don't let this devastate me. I let it motivate me to not only do good things, but to truly help other people. And with my daughter, especially because of her direct involvement that she was forced to have, you know, I told her, all these people that were helping, I wouldn't be able to help if we hadn't been through this. So Mm, um, mm. you're you're helping these people too. You know, we are helping these Uh individuals. And it's been such a wonderful, it's been, uh, we are closer now, and we were very close before. We're closer than we've ever been. So yes. it's, it's a true blessing that's come out of this, too. Well, well that's, that's really wonderful because that was something difficult to get over. I want to be sure to tell my listeners, again, the name of your book so that they can go get it. We've been talking about the highlights or the lowlights, however you want to call it. <laughs> but um, certainly there's a lot more to the story, and I really would recommend this. Um, the book is called Accused, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive. Uh, Tanya Kraft, thank you so much for sharing your story, and thank you so much for uh, doing what you're doing, because this is a problem that actually is increasing all over. You know, we hear about teachers being accused of molestation, and there's this knee-jerk reaction to just believe that, yes, they must be guilty. And so your, your story is a, a great example for people to think again. Of course, I just want to say this one thing quickly. Um, you know, I bet you it will turn out 
if you don't know this already, I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if it turns out that these little girls who were accusing you may well have been molested, but by somebody else, by mommy's, by their father, by mommy's boyfriend, somebody in their life. And then they, what often happens is then, that they then project it onto somebody else, especially when they're being coached to do. So again, Tanya, thank you so much. The book is called Accused, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and the Strength to Forgive. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.